Merry Christmas. Welcome to Lifehouse, right? Crazy, crazy time. Good morning, Lifehouse family. Everyone good? One more time. First time guest. Can we just, Lifehouse family, give it up for all of our first time guests. We are so honored that you are here with us. Welcome. We would love for you. Come back out. Check us out. Um, no two services are the same. You never know what's going to happen here at Lifehouse. So come check us out. It's awesome, man. We love and are just honored to be a part of what God is on here. This is our 14th week as a church. So we are still a baby. Like we are still like a little newborn baby trying to figure out what the heck we're doing and getting all of our little ins and outs figured out. But we are just honored, man, of, of what God's doing here. This is our first Christmas Eve service. And so, man, we, it's just, we, you know, we're just like a brand new baby, man. We're just trying to walk now, you know, we're trying to get this thing moving. So, but we are excited that you are here. My name's John. We're lead pastor here. And um, my family and, and I, Kristen, um, we just want to say to you, Merry Christmas. We, we, we pray that the, 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 this season would just be filled love, peace, joy, presence, and, and a Jaguars division title is what we are praying for. It's what my family is praying for as we head into today and next Sunday. Um, <laughs> you know if you come to this church, you're going to hear about the Jacksonville Jaguars because no one else talks about them. So I'm like, hey, while I've got time and I've got this thing on me, I'm going to talk about the Jaguars. Somebody actually gave me a Jaguar blanket for Christmas. I was like, you're my favorite person at this church right now. I just got to say thank you so much. It's just awesome. Hey, but how, how many of you have seen that there's power in names? Power in names. Like, I realized this whenever Kristen and, and I were trying to name our three boys. Um, I quickly realized, and, and we have three boys, so it, it, was, it, it was always going to be, it was always going, going to, to be boy names, but I quickly realized that there were names that her and I did not like. Like, there were names she, you know, that she didn't like at all. Possibly it was boys that she dated that were just chumps, and she was dating them when she shouldn't have been, and she always should have been with me, and she, she just realized, you know what, I don't like that name. I would talk about one, and, and, sh- and she'd be like, no, I don't, I don't really like that name. When I would ask why, she'd be like, oh, you know, there was this kid back in K-5, he'd pick on me, and, you know, I just didn't, didn't, I didn't like him, and, you know, and, and then there were, you know, a ton of different names I didn't like. One of them was Tom. I was like, I'm never naming my son Tom because I don't like Tom Brady. It was like, I don't want my son to ever be associated with a, the Patriot quarterback named Tom Brady. I was like, I'm not going to name him Ben either because that's Ben Roethlisberger. I don't like Ben Roethlisberger. And I realized that all of my things were like dealing with sports. I was like, I need Jesus here. I need Jesus to deliver me from this anger that I have for the Jaguars being so bad. But if, if you were to split, like there's this power in names. Whenever we actually hear them, there's just something about them that gives us positive emotions and thoughts and there's this other names that just like don't it's just like when when you actually hear it you think it drains you you have bad thoughts negative thoughts but because there's power in names when you see our our family Kristen and i when you see our kids names you'll probably be able to tell two things number one we love football and jesus hopefully not in that order hopefully it's the other way right jesus and then football but our first son's name is jackson Which, um, it wasn't because of the Jaguars, shockingly, you know, she actually came to me one day and she said, what do you think about the name Jackson? I said, let me pray about that name. Yes. The Lord said, yes. So we're going to name him Jackson. Um, like, cool. And then Judah, 
Um, I don't know how we got Judah. I think Lacey recommended that one, right? Yeah, I don't know. Judah praise. You know, we we got to get at least one kid that talks about God or something in there. So we got Judah. We weren't going to name him Abraham or nothing like that. We're like Judah. We get some praise in, in there. And then Dallas. We have a third son named Dallas. Now, now some of y'all might be like, man, you a, you a Dallas kid. Yeah, we got some cowboy fans up in here. But um, so me personally, my my dad was this close to naming me Dallas. He always said, John, I was this close, but I couldn't do it. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. So, <clears throat> so he ended up naming me John. Like I could have had the coolest name in the whole world, Dallas Ware. That's like a clothing line. That's like setting me up for success. But instead he gives me the name John, which, you know, there's a billion people named John, you know, but it's like, you know, D- Dallas Ware. So, so it's, you know, but it's like, you know, we were like, all right, it's our third son. You know, you know, we already got Jackson. It's, that's my favorite name, Judah. You know, it's a God name. Like a third one. Who cares what we named this one? I'm just kidding. Like, it's like, you know what? My dad's getting old. Say what's up, dad. I got my dad, dad here. Let's give it up for my dad. He's getting old. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's almost 70, but, uh, you know, we're like, man, he's, he's, he's getting old, man. Let's make him happy. So uh, we're going to name him. Dad. And, and now, Dad, you, you, when, whenever he talks about having a grandson named Dallas, you can't smack that smile off of his face. He says, why? Because there's power in names. There's power in them. Now, it, uh, is there any other more powerful name, though, that brings about strong positive stuff or strong negative stuff than the name Jesus? I mean, think about it. When you hear the name Jesus, man, probably stuff is all over the board here. you got people here. You're just here on Christmas Eve, just to make your wife happy. <laughs> like you are literally here for the one purpose of making your, of appeasing your wife. And when you hear the name Jesus, you're like scam artist. Like this guy's pulled the biggest heist in the history of any, anyone. He gets billions of people to follow him and they give churches their money. And churches are just nothing but scams and they just take people's money. And, and you know, so you, so you probably got people like that here. People are, you know, some of you are probably Jesus. When I hear that name, I think savior. Jesus is my savior. Some of y'all are like, you know what, Jesus, he was a good, a good guy. You know, he said some cool pithy, pithy things that, you know, love each other, bro. That's what Jesus said, right? Just love, you know, love, 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 you know, love each other like you love yourself. And, you know, you, you think Jesus was this cool teacher guy that just came and taught some good s- stuff. Some of you here, you might hear Jesus and you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm a homeboy. Like, I know this, if Jesus was here on this earth right now, we'd be hanging. Like, I'd be with him out hanging with people like, you know. So it's like we all got different viewpoints of who Jesus is. But I don't think any of us, whether, you're, whether you are a Christ follower here or whether you're just a regular person that really doesn't believe in this whole Jesus thing, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, you can't deny Jesus' influence on history. Like as a whole, even if you throw out the whole Jesus saving thing, Jesus Messiah thing, even if you throw, throw out the what Jesus did in Christianity, and what he's done, even if you just talk about Jesus as being a, a really historical figure, his influence is like that of anyone else. And here's the thing, even non-Christian historians say things like this. One of them, Stephen Neal, says this, he who says Jesus says history. H.G. Wells says this, I am a historian, I'm not a believer. So this is coming from a guy that doesn't even believe Jesus is who he says he is. He says this, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure of all time. Philip 
Schaff says this here. No great life ever passed so swiftly, so quietly, so humbly, so far from the noise and commotion of this world. And no great life after its close excited such universal and lasting interest. Kenneth Scott says, says this. As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulated. That measured by the effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life that has ever lived on this planet. These are coming from people that are not Christians. At first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from, from his home. He never held a political office, never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never attended college, never visited a big city, never won a poker tournament. Yet more songs have been sung to him and about him, more artwork created of him, more books about him than anyone who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over us, we measure time by him. Our calendar is divided into the years before and after his birth. In case you forgot, BC stands for what? Before Christ, AD. This is the real smart people in this room. What does AD stand for? Whatever you said, however you pronounce that, that's right. It says, in the year of our Lord. But not only does Jesus loom large history generally, one of the greatest influences that Jesus has had in our world is how people treat each other and how people love each other and how people relate with each other. One of those great examples is during Jesus' time is how people how cultures saw kids. Like back in that day, kids were looked at as, as basically being property. Meaning when they were born, parents had the choice. They had the choice. If they didn't like the, the child that they had, whether it was deformed or whether it was sadly a female, there was a high chance they would take that baby and do what, what it was called back then, exposure where they would basically take it and put it on a trash heap and say, we don't want this child. But there was a, 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 a group of followers named Jesus who said this, that isn't right. Why? Because the person that we follow, Jesus said, said this, let the little children come to me. He gave children worth. He said he doesn't care if they're females, men what they are. They are worth something in God's sight. They are made in God's image, and we are going to give them value. Jesus changed the way a culture saw children. Think this. Jesus changed the way that we see women. You might say, huh? Jesus never married, but his treatment of woman led to the led to the formation of a, of a movement, Christianity, that was so congenial to women that they would join it in record numbers. And, and really because so many women joined, it actually, in that culture's eyes, was actually a put-down. Oh, look at all, all these women joining. They just don't know. They're not educated. Who are they? But Jesus' teachings about sexuality would lead to the, to, 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 to the disillusion of a sexual double standard that was actually encoded in Roman law. Jesus gave women worth. He said, it doesn't matter, male, female. I know that you are in a, a, a male-dominated culture, but Jesus said, we're all created equal. 
Jesus never held a political office, led an army. He's, but he's, he said that his kingdom was not of this world, yet he was on the wrong side of, of the law at the beginning of his life and at the very end of it. Yet the movement he started would, would, he would eventually mean the end of emperor worship, beside in, in documents like the Magna Carta, begin a tradition of common law and limited government, undermine the power of the state rather than reinforce it as other religions in the empire had done. It is in Jesus' name that desperate people pray, grateful people worship, angry people swear. From christenings to weddings to sick rooms to funerals, it is in Jesus' name that people are hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. You can't get rid of Jesus. But we can, you know, this is just Jesus his, historically. This is just Jesus influencing the way the people treat each other. But then if you actually miss, like it, it's so easy for us in this culture where there's so many opinions, so much of this thing we got the Christmas season where it's all about gifts and it's, and it's all about the hustle bustle. It's all about Black Friday. It, it's all about family. It's, and none of these things are bad, but it's so easy for us in the midst of this time that is supposed to be about a, a savior named Jesus that we miss the whole point. We miss the big E on that big E I chart that is basically yelling at us that says this season is about Jesus. And it's so easy for us to miss the reason why he came. Miss the reason why he came. And, and man, you can go throughout scripture. You can see the Old Testament. There's over 300 prophecies about this guy named Jesus, where, where he'd be born, how, how he would be born, who he would be born to, what he would do after he was born. But most importantly, it spoke of why he'd be born. The book of Isaiah, chapter 54, written over a thousand years before Christ came. Isaiah says this. We're going to have it up here. And this is speaking of Jesus. He says, surely he and he being Jesus took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on the iniquity, or has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears are silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it was the lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and though the lord makes his life an offering for sin he will see his offspring and the and prolong his days and the will of the lord will prosper in his hand let me tell you if you are a follower of jesus christ you are that offspring you are that offspring jesus did not come to, to bring a physical kingdom that overthrows governments. 
He did not bring a, a physical kingdom that is just here to treat the symptom of your issues. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to come into the deepest, darkest recesses of this earth. And it is not a daggone place. It is your heart. If we can't blame Donald Trump. We can't blame Democrats. We can't blame Bitcoin. We can't blame wars. We, we can't blame. We try to treat symptoms, but nobody wants to deal with the actual root issue of what's going on in our world. It is not a physical issue. It is a spiritual issue that dwells in each side of us. And that is sin. That is sin. And, and we see Isaiah here prophesying. Saying he's going to be crushed and wounded. He's going to be given as what? An offering for sin. The purpose of why Jesus came. Meets your deepest need. Jesus' greatest purpose. Which came to be an offering for sin. Meets your greatest need. Which is you need to be forgiven. And have your sin taken away. His greatest purpose meets your deepest need. Jesus himself was clear about why he was here. It's so funny sometimes. We have so many opinions about Jesus that we never actually let Jesus speak for himself. Like we're, we're, we got so many opinions, what this person said, what that person said, what this book said, what that book said. Why don't we let the man speak for himself every once in a while? His followers noted. His followers took extremely copious notes and wrote down. He had followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that said, look, we're going to write orderly accounts from our perspective on this guy named Jesus. And they documented a few things Jesus said. One of them, John 3, 16. Many of you know it here. For God so loved the world, this is Jesus here talking, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I, meaning me, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the what? Life. No one gets to the Father set by me. We can look at that as being Jesus. Oh, man, what a, what a narcissistic person. I mean, good God, that guy, see, he's the only way. How jacked up is that? How narcissistic can anyone? I'll never want to serve such a narcissistic God. But let me tell you what Jesus was actually saying there. He was saying, no one's going to do for you what I'm going to do for you. It is not a narcissistic guy saying, serve me or, or else. Jesus is saying, no God is going to come down and sacrifice to go through what I went through you, what, what I went through for you. No one else is going to do that. And therefore, since there's no one else doing that, let me tell you the exact way. The way is not a place. The way is not a, the way is me. Even Jesus' followers had a hard time understanding who this Jesus guy was. They had this picture in his mind that Jesus, many, that Jesus came to overthrow the Roman government. The, the, Jesus' people, the Israelites, they were oppressed by the daggone Roman government. And so they saw Jesus and they were like, yo, this dude's doing miracles. This dude's healing people. This dude's got authority. This guy's got power. He's come to save us from Israel. Or from Israel. Jesus, help me. He's going to save me from Rome. I need water. This, this is my second time preaching. Nah, good. But, but like... He said, you know, Jesus has come to save us from Rome. We have a savior. He's going to save us. We're, we're going to have our home back. We're not going to have all these pesky Romans coming in and taking our money and persecuting our kids and coming in and taking our taxes. They're, Jesus is going to come in and overthrow that. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like our world 
where people want Jesus to do something for them because it's what they want him to do rather than Jesus coming to do what actually he came to do, which is save people from sin, not to overthrow governments or physical things. Jesus wants to overthrow the government in your heart that is ruled by you. Because he knows you'll kill yourself. You will ruin yourself. You are on a path towards destruction physically and eternally. If you live for you and make it all about you. Jesus was clear. You know, his followers, when they saw Jesus rise from death, they were like, that's why he said that. When he said he would destroy the temple and raise it again in three days, he wasn't talking about a physical temple. He was talking about his body. Oh, snap. (laughs) They started to like connect all these different things that Jesus said. And they were like, that's why he came to earth. And Peter, I mean, look at Peter. Peter was the first guy to like bail on Jesus. Whenever Jesus needed someone to have his back, you know, Jesus was like taken off and, and he was, you know, had, he got and kissed Judas, you know, Judas kissed him. The, the soldiers came and got him and took him off. And, you know, you know a little servant girl saw Peter. Yo, are you with, with that guy? No. I swear I saw you with him. Shut up. Are you sure? Because you look, look. I mean, the Bible says he cussed. Like he was like, look, no. I ain't with him. Leave me alone. Go to your mama. That same guy who couldn't stand up to a servant girl. When he saw Jesus rise and he saw Jesus is actually who he says he was. The first person, book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2, who preached the first sermon, gave the first sermon, saw over 5,000 people saved. It was Peter. And Peter taught this. He said, Acts 4.12 tells us this. He said, there is no other name given to man by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. There's something about the name of Jesus. Jesus said absolutely clearly, Luke 19.10. He said, let me tell you what my purpose is. I have come to seek and save the lost. And let me tell you this. You might be here and you might say, I'm a good person. I do good things. I, I am a, you know, I'm, I'm a good citizen. I cut my grass. I walk old ladies across the street. I make sure I pay my taxes. I, I, I do this and 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 the other thing and i i'm i am good i don't need a savior i don't need saving from anything jesus would actually look at you and be like bro you are jacked up more than anyone else because because dude i'm telling you scriptures i mean we we know we're filled with this i I got a one-year-old kid and this cat is already learning the words me like his first word was mine me i got a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old fighting over this little paw patrol thing and they're fighting over it and mad about it and hitting each other and yelling and screaming. I'm like, look at these little sinners. <laughs> little sinners. Just in sin. Can't even help it. It's their nature. But here's the deal. No matter how much we try to hide it, it's our nature. You, you wonder why. Why can't I get any relationship to work? You can blame him being an idiot, which he probably is most of the time. I'm just kidding. You can blame a lot of stuff. 
But the blame game has been being played since Genesis 3. The devil made me do it. She made me do it. No, the devil made me do it. It's like this continual blame game. And what Jesus wants to do more than anything, he wants to let you know this season is not about gifts. It's, 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 this season is about Jesus coming to earth and saying, I want to save you. Matthew 1, 20, 21, the, the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby and you are going to give birth and his name is going to be the name Jesus. And the name of Jesus actually means what? To save. And he says this, he will save his people from their sins. Friend, I'm telling you today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's awesome. And as you know, it's, a, not a, it's not an easy process. Following Jesus requires a lot of you dying to yourself so Christ-like, so, so, so Christ's life can live through you. But it all begins with the start. It all begins with crossing the line of faith and realizing you need saving. That's your greatest need, but that's also Jesus' greatest purpose. There's something about the name of Jesus that just did not influence history in incredible ways outside of just this Jesus Christian thing. But right now there's 2.5 billion people as a follower of Jesus. The Bible's the best-selling book of all time. We'll never even be close. Billions of people have followed Jesus before this. People have done stupid things in his name. But Jesus would probably even tell them, what the heck were you doing? Guys, I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. His purpose is to save you. There's nothing about the name of Jesus.
What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus.
C.S. Lewis, who uh, is man, one of the greatest writers of all time, who himself was a staunch atheist, um, examined evidence for himself and found Jesus to be who, who Jesus said that he was and really turned in, into one of the greatest Christian authors, fiction and, and nonfiction writers of all time. In his book, Mere Christianity, he talks about how people see Jesus. And, and I really believe that all of us here hit a point and maybe today is your point where you have to say, Jesus, who the heck are you to me? It's like, maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you have done the church thing a long time and you've just been like, yeah, church. And, and, you know, and, um, maybe you've been following Jesus. Maybe you're starting to feel stale or possibly here. You've been in church, but, but you're like, you've never made a decision to actually follow him and call him Lord and Savior of your life. C.S. Lewis says this, though. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And what he, he says is, is, is this, is that people say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis says, that is the one thing we must not say. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher he would either be a lunatic on, on, the, the, on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can call, you can shut him up for being a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But you must make a choice. I really see that there's three choices about how we can see Jesus. Four, actually, number one, liar. You can look at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Like, I, that, that's a load of crap. I'm not, I'm not going to believe that. Okay. You could call Jesus a lunatic. This guy was insane. He was a madman. He was smoking that. Ding, ding, you know, smoking something. He came and did this stuff, and everything he did was just a demonic enablement from some other realm. You can say he was just a legendary person. He was fictionary. You know, it was all hocus pocus. Everything that happened in this, in the same way we, we have the Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. This whole Jesus stuff is just a legendary tale. Those are three options. But then the fourth option, which I think is the most logical option based on not only scripture, but based on his, on, on history outside of even scripture here, you've got to say he's could also be Lord. In other words, this what he said about himself is actually true. L legend, liar, lunatic, or Lord. One of those four. And I don't know where you find yourself today. But my heart and our heart and the purpose of this Christmas season is for you to have the opportunity to say Jesus is who he says he was and he is Lord. Here's the deal. When Jesus came to earth, Jesus... God was essentially telling us he's not scared of your mess. He was born in mess. He says, bring your addictions. Bring your anger. Bring your sin. Bring your jacked up life. Bring your secrets. Bring your sins. Bring them to me. Jesus is not afraid of your mess.
He's not afraid of your past. He's not afraid. Why? Because he left heaven and earth and was born in a shack, in a manger, came, left his heavenly home to dwell in this. He's not afraid of your mess either, y'all. He loves you. He cares for you. And this season is all about wanting you to know he came to die for your sins. Can we all stand up, Lifehouse? We're, we're going to go back here into a time of worship. Before we do, though, I want to give you the opportunity really, really quickly. Every head bowed, every, every eye closed. I just want to give you the opportunity really quick. Since, since we're here, we're all together in this Christmas service here. If you would say, oh, Pastor John, I've looked at Jesus as being a legend, a liar, a lunatic. Maybe I just haven't even thought about it. But today, I want to make Jesus Lord. I want to cross the line of faith and accept what Jesus did on the cross in my place and for my sin and receive by faith through grace what Jesus did for me. Because I'm telling y'all, it's by faith. When you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you, what was given to Jesus, heaven, hope, life, he then gives to you as a gracious gift. Why? Because he earned it and because he earned it, he can freely give it. It's by grace and through faith. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, John, I want to receive Jesus. I want to cross the line of faith and call Jesus and make Jesus Lord of my life. When I count to you three, just simply take your, your right hand, put it up. I just want to know who you are so I can pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you, I promise. We're not going to call you forward. We just want to know who you are so we can pray with you on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Anyone, anyone here? Anyone here? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Any, anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what we're going to do. Even if you put your hand up or if you didn't, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, all of us here, we're going to pray together with all of those that put their, their hand up to receive Christ. And we're just going to join in with them just as a sign of being along with them and coming alongside of them. Uh, in, in, in the decision and choice that they just made. So this is what we're going to do. All of us, if you would, simply repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my life. The good, the bad, and the, and the really bad. I give it all to you. Jesus, I need you to save me from myself and from my sin. I give you my life. I receive what you did on the cross in my place and for my sin. Thank you for your love and your grace that you have given to me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Lifehouse, can we just give it up for all those today that received Christ for the first time? Listen, if you said that prayer today for the first time we would love to connect with you quickly right after service if you would next steps booth whenever you leave here we're probably going to be get out here in probably about five minutes we just want to talk with you and give you a bible get some other information from you and come alongside you on this brand new journey that you have just started in following christ lifehouse family look this is what we're going to do we're going to take just a few more moments and and we're and we're going to have the band sing and i want us to as we prepare to go back into the hustle and bustle and family and, and the total last-minute Christmas shopping, because you know you're not done yet, 
as we go back into the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season, let's just take a few moments and get our hearts right, our, our minds right, and focus them on the reason for this season, and that is Jesus. There's something about the name of Jesus. There's power to save. There's power to bring hope. There's power to bring life. There's power to bring forgiveness. There's power to bring peace. Whatever you need today, Jesus is available. And there's power in his name. There's no other name by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. Isn't Jesus good, Lifehouse? We serve a good God. This season is about him. It's all for him. Amen. If you would, Lifehouse family, briefly be seated. We're going to transition right now into a time of giving. And we have something really, really cool going on right now that we just want to show you a quick video and tell you about. So check this out. Lifehouse Church exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. And since our first service here on September 17th at the Kiln Creek Theater, we've seen God do just that. We've seen people cross the, the line of faith and start to follow Jesus. We have people finding community through life groups. We have people discovering their purpose through our, our life track process. And we have people making a difference through serving our community. And one of our core values as a church is that we are for our city. And by that, we mean that we believe the church should strive to make our city a better place, not only spiritually, but practically also. One of the ways we've started to do this is by partnering with Denby High School. So far this year, we've been able to feed the varsity and JV football teams before games, freshen up the teacher's lounge, begin a fellowship of Christian Athletes Club after school, and also bring in the Seven Project School Assembly to Denby High. Through these endeavors, we've seen hundreds of students receive Christ, attend the FCA meetings, and shown teachers 
appreciation for all the hard work that they do. But in 2018, we want to do more. Not just at Denby High School, but in our city. We want to continue to be a blessing to Denby High School through the FCA program and helping the school with various improvement projects. We want to start feeding the Denby High School football team. We want to bless our community through a community egg hunt during the Easter season. We want to continually invest in the catalyst effect and specifically the Silence Empowers Violence initiative confronting violence in our city. We want to continue to feed the homeless through the Nehemiah's Nook ministry in downtown Newport News. And who knows what other opportunities that God has for Lifehouse in 2018. Now to prepare ourselves for what God wants to do through Lifehouse in 2018 in our city, we are taking a special year-end offering called the For Our City Offering. And here is the deal. Every dollar given during services or online from December 24th through December 31st will go straight towards impacting our city through the opportunities just, just mentioned and other upcoming and honestly unknown opportunities that God has for Lifehouse this coming year. So would you pray? Pray about what you could give to impact our city. But after you pray, be obedient to what God says and give generously so we can impact our city and show it that Lifehouse is for it and that God loves it. Thank you in advance for whatever you give in helping Lifehouse help all people experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Yo. So man, Lifehouse, we are 14 weeks old and we are just pumped about what God has done in us and through us in this time. And we are taking a special year and often, just like you said, because we want to see this city impacted, but we know it's going to take dollars, it's going to take people. And so, and so, basically, we said this: we are going to take one, one, one week, and just we're going to give every dollar given, online and service now is going to go straight towards outreach. It's going to go straight towards our city, straight towards helping our city become everything that God has called it to be in this upcoming year. And man, we pray it's tens and thousands of dollars. Why? Because we know God loves this city. And God has put Lifehouse here not to just plant a church, but to impact a city, man. And we thank you for, for whatever gift you give today. It's going to go towards outreach. It's going to go towards helping this, this city know that Lifehouse is for it and that God loves it. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray really, really quick and, and, and bless the offering. God, we just love you. Thank you for the opportunity, God, that we have to partner with you and join in with you to see this city come to know you. God, you love this city. And God, we, we want to, in your name, reach out to it, love it, serve it, honor it, and let every person in this vicinity know that you love them and that this church is for them. God, we ask your blessing upon each dollar given. Bless your people, God, so we can be a blessing in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you, Lifehouse.